Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. How do we control health care costs, reduce the numbers of uninsured Utahns, ensure high-quality health care, and provide for a sound economy? Governor Herbert and Utah legislators are grappling with these questions and deciding how to implement the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare, and whether to expand Medicaid. We'll explore health care issues on the program today. We'll be asking you what your health care experiences are, what difficulties you're having, what your attitude is toward the Affordable Care Act and uh, how it should be implemented in Utah, whether or not you think that Medicaid should be expanded. And uh, we're going to be talking about these issues in the second half of the program with Matt Sloniker, who is Utah Health Policy Project's Medicaid Policy and Collaborations Director. We'll also bring in uh, Reed Ernstrom, President and CEO of Bear River Mental Health Services, and uh, Jeannie Eden's uh, Salt Lake County Substance Abuse uh, Services. Uh, she's with that organization. In the first half, right now, we uh, now bring in Robert Spendlove, who's Deputy Chief of Staff to uh, Governor Herbert uh, and works with health care issues. So, Mr. Spendlove, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tom. It's good to be with you. And Jason Stevenson joins us. He's Education and Communications Director with Utah Health Policy Project. Thank you. No problem. Good morning. Uh, the Patient Protection Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare, President Obama has embraced this, uh, by the way, we, we heard in a couple of speeches, um, was, of course, passed. And uh, then it had its test at the Supreme Court. Most of it passed the Supreme Court except for the Medicaid expansion, I believe. Uh, I wonder, uh, Jason Stevenson, if you could give us the quick two-minute uh, refresher course on uh, the Affordable Care Act and how it uh, will affect Utah. Sure, you bet, and thanks for inviting us onto the program. Well, the Affordable Care Act, or we can call it Obamacare, doesn't matter, uh, is uh, you know a law that was passed back in March of 2010. It was upheld by the Supreme Court just last June, um, and now is on its way to implementation. October 1st of this year is when open enrollment starts, and then it really takes effect on January 1st of next year, 2014. Um, the law was modeled after the health care reform started under Governor Romney in Massachusetts back in 2006. Um, it borrows just about every single one of the elements that Massachusetts tried. And Massachusetts, by the way, in the past seven years has reduced their uh, uninsured rate from about 11 percent to about 4 percent. So just in Massachusetts, these uh, reforms seem to have worked. Um, and, uh, you know, the United States as a whole is about to experiment with this um, really on a state-by-state basis. Here in Utah... Um, we are still a little bit undecided. Uh, we're waiting for a federal decision on Governor Herbert's request to have a very unique bifurcated model where the state would run a, a sort of an exchange or a marketplace where small businesses could go um, and shop for insurance. And then the federal government would run um, what they call the individual marketplace, which is where self-employed um, and uh, you know, other people who are uninsured right now could go and find uh, and private insurance options um, that would have a sliding scale of subsidies to make them more affordable. We should know within the next week or two about what the feds say to Governor Herbert's uh, proposal, um, and that will probably be the final um, decision that we'll need before you talk and move ahead with whichever program uh, uh, you know is settled upon. And uh, that's where we are. We've got probably about 200 days or so until open enrollment, and uh, a lot of people are working very hard both here in Utah um, and across the country to see if they can make this work. I neglected to welcome in uh, Henry. That's a pseudonym. That's what we're uh, calling him, former small business owner, uh, current financial services entrepreneur. has some interesting experiences with owning a small business and and current uh, grappling with uh, his health care problems. Uh, Henry, welcome to the program. 
Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for, for joining us. We'll, we'll get your story as we go along. I want to turn to Robert Spendlove. Um, what are, maybe you could review with us some of the decisions Governor Herbert had to make, and this is a kind of a, a collaboration now, uh, a, a dance, if you will, between the state and, uh, and the federal government on, on what they're going to allow and what we want to do in Utah with regard to the Affordable Care Act, is it not? Thanks, Tom. That, that's right. And uh, just like Jason said, uh, th- this is something that's been um, going on, you know, for several years now, uh, just with the Affordable Care Act. And and although, you know, one thing to keep in mind is that the state uh, of Utah uh, has been working, has made health care reform its priority uh, for quite some time. Uh, it became a priority in the governor's office back in the year 2007. And, you know, the... the um, the, the exchange that Utah has put together really is unique. It's very unique among states. It's very unique among exchanges throughout the country. Um, just like Jason said, Massachusetts had the first working exchange in the country. Utah had the second exchange. And Utah's exchange, we actually studied the Massachusetts model when we, when we made uh, health care reform a priority in Utah. And we said, what do we want to develop that would be uh, uniquely Utah, that would, uh, that would recognize Utah's unique needs, U- Utah's unique markets, and Utah's unique demographics? And what we realized very quickly was that the Massachusetts model would not work for Utah. It, it was, Massachusetts has a very uh, large population. They're, they have an older median age. They have most of their employees work for larger businesses. Uh, they're a very wealthy state. Their uh, median household income is much higher than Utah. Utah, on the other hand, has a, a young state. We have a young median pop, pop, uh, median age. We have, uh, you know, it, it, we have a lot of small businesses in Utah. So we wanted to create something that would be unique and beneficial for a Utah population. So what we created was a, a small business exchange that uh, essentially uh, the, the critical part of our exchange is the ability to to convert from a defined benefit to a defined contribution on uh, on health insurance. So instead of the employer just giving the employee insurance, they give them the money to go out and buy their own insurance. And it it, it really is that's the game changer in health insurance. And so we have a very unique model. We have a very successful exchange. It's been up and running for uh, several years now. Uh, this all predates uh, the ACA. And, you know, and, and we have a model that we think is very successful. We're really happy with it. But the ACA creates uh, a, a large degree of an uncertainty in our market. And we're worried that whether our exchange can exist in an ACA world. And so we've been trying to work with them for the past two years to try to find a role for a Utah-specific exchange, essentially trying to work with them to, to – recognize the, the hard work that we've done over the last several years. So Pre- uh, Governor Herbert met with Secretary Sebelius a few weeks ago and proposed this new model. You know, r- right now there's essentially three models for exchanges. There's either a federal model, a state-based model, or a, or a, um, a partnership model. And Governor Herbert said, we'd like to propose a fourth model, which would be the Utah model. And it would be this bifurcated model where the feds run the individual exchange, Utah runs the small business exchange, and it, it allows the feds to, you know, we, we acknowledge that the ACA is law. We acknowledge that it is the law of the land, and we're going to follow the law of the land. 
However, we don't think the hard work and the good things that we've done in our exchange should just be thrown out because of what, what happened on the federal level. So that's really the goal, is to try to, try to keep Utah solutions to Utah problems and have, the, have, have HHS working with us. And again, when do you expect to hear back from the, the federal government? Well, so the governor met with Secretary Sebelius uh, about three weeks ago. We've been in uh, constant discussion with them over the last few weeks. We asked them to respond back to us by the end of the legislative session, because another critical part of this is this is not just uh, the governor acting alone or the legislature acting alone. This is the governor and the legislature developing a model that can work for everyone um, anything that, 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 that gets approved needs to go through the legislative process as well. So we've really given them uh, a deadline of March 14, next Thursday, to respond back and let us know whether uh, we can move forward. I want to ask you, before I move on, uh, uh, pull back and, and to talk more generally. Uh, I wonder what Governor Herbert's attitude uh, is. I, I know uh, many Republicans feel that Affordable Care Act is just too intrusive, a big government intrusion into what is more properly and would be more efficiently uh, taken care of in the, in the private sector. Yeah, and, and that's exactly the, the goal of, of the Utah reforms, is we, we recognize, you know, that the, the kind of premise of the Utah reforms is that the free market and private sector solutions are the best way to to deal with all of our uh, all of our whether it's healthcare, whether it's you know different parts of the economy, and so the 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 Utah's exchange essentially gives businesses the tools they need to succeed. It gives individuals the tools they need to succeed, and it recognizes that you know that people are best suited to make their own decisions when they have the right information and so that it, that's a critical part of our of our theory behind our exchange is giving people the tools enabling the private sector to do what what it does best it, ours really is i don't know if you've ever heard the the, the analogy of a travelocity.com of it, of health insurance and that's really what it is a, a consumer goes on well first of all the employer gives their employees money to go on, on, on exchange through the defined benefit, excuse me, the defined contribution. Then they go in and they get to decide among 150 different plans. Now, they don't just see 150 different plans on the exchange. What they do is they, just like on Travelocity, they enter their information and then the exchange comes up with the top three to five best choices that it thinks that they would like to have. And then they get to decide for themselves what works best for their families. And so it really does empower consumers, empower employers, and, and empower the free market. This health exchange now goes by the catchier name of Avenue H, I think. That's right. That's right. What, what we've done is we've, we've uh, started a, a marketing campaign. You know, our goal was always to have something that would be as consumer-friendly as possible. So by, by rebranding it as Avenue H, it makes it very clear that this is, you know, that this is a, a solution for, for the free market. It's something, when the time is right, when it's sustainable, we'd like to actually spin it off into its own private or nonprofit company. Um, you know, we, we recognize that something this fundamentally different would, you know, would need a kind of a boost. So we, we see the state as kind of almost like a, a venture capitalist or an angel financer to kind of start it up, get them going, get the market ready, and then when the time is right, spin them off and let them be successful. 
That's uh, Robert Spendlove. He's the Deputy Chief of Staff to Governor Herbert uh, on health care issues. We're also talking with Jason Stevenson, who's Education and Communications Director with Utah Health Policy Project. We'll be talking with uh, Henry, uh, who is a former small business owner and current financial services entrepreneur. You're welcome to join the conversation. We hope that you will with your own experience, your own concerns about health insurance and health care and where you think we ought to go in Utah. 1-800-826-1495. We'd love to hear your experience. 1-800-826-1495. Or you can email us at upraxcess at gmail.com. Upraxcess at gmail.com. Before I go to Henry, I want to pose the, the similar general question to uh, Jason Stevenson. Um, the, I believe the issues that we're trying to address with any healthcare system are controlling costs, which seem to be spiraling out of control and uh, providing for more people who are currently uninsured. And there's a lot of problems there. I wonder, from the point of view of Utah Health Policy Project, uh, you heard Robert Spendlove articulate the case for a more private sector. Uh, what's the case for for more government involvement here? Well, you know, I would have to say that the Affordable Care Act is actually not, as it's been characterized, a government takeover of our health care system. Um, that... Uh, was a term that came out a long time ago. I think it was the 2009 uh, political lie of the year, according to some organizations. But, I mean, the Affordable Care Act actually strengthens the private insurance market. Uh, it's not a European socialist system by any means. In fact, you know, by 2020, um, when Utah, you know, has been involved with the Affordable Care Act, 77% of Utahns will be covered by the private insurance market. 77%, that's quite a bit. Um, so this is not a government takeover of health care. What Affordable Care Act is attempting to do is find the people who have been really mistreated by our current health care system. Um, these are folks who have pre-existing conditions like diabetes um, or perhaps had, uh, uh, were obese and then had bariatric surgery, but you know, even though they're fit and young and, and now have you know, their weight under control, they have this pre-existing condition. And so insurance companies were charging them way more um, than they could afford. And so these people could not afford health care insurance. So the Affordable Care Act says to those folks, hey, you know, we really think having health care insurance is good. We know that's something that you want. It'll give you more personal responsibility over your health so that you can manage it with a primary care doctor, um, like most people who have insurance do. And so it created a sliding scale of premium subsidies to help people afford insurance. So when people go to um, as uh, Robert described, this Travelocity website, the, which, of course, is the same model that the Affordable Care Act will use. Um, and, and in fact, we use this word exchange a lot, and I just want to let people know um, that, uh, you know, Robert and I live in a world of acronyms um, and funny words. But an exchange really is just sort of like an Amazon.com. It's a place where you would go on, online to search for health care coverage where everything would be compared. Um, you would know the prices. You would know what benefits you were getting. And then you can make an informed decision based on what you or your family's needs are. So that's really what it is. Hmm. Um, it, it is Travelocity is a little bit old, I think. So we, we like to call it Amazon because <laughs> okay. that's a company that's still around. Uh, do, so do you know, really, this is not a government solution. This is strengthening the private market. And, and that's why all the insurance companies were so in favor of the Affordable Care Act, because they realized they would be getting, even in Utah, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of new customers who would then take personal responsibility for their health care 
by having insurance and making better decisions about their health. We do have a caller. Uh, Bettina, we'll, we'll ask you to hold on just uh, just enough to we can get a story from Henry, who's been holding on patiently. Um, Henry, former small business owner, a current financial services entrepreneur. Uh, maybe start out, Henry, uh, talking about the, your small business. Did you have employees, and did you worry about providing them health care? I had independent contractors, and no, providing them with health care wasn't a concern. However, providing myself with health care was always a primary concern. Yeah. Uh, I opened a promotions firm and ran it uh, from age 18 up to age 28. Uh, at that point, I made a transition into the financial planning industry. I'm still self-employed. I still have only 1099 income. And obtaining health coverage has always been a primary concern of mine. Uh, you know, I had parents who were state employees, so I had the luxury of being covered by that great PEHP system up until age 26. Uh, unfortunately, I had a seizure at the age of 24. It was one instance. Uh, I saw uh, appropriate care. Uh, they put me on medication. Didn't have any further problems. But when it came time to get off my parents' insurance at age 26, I couldn't find private coverage. Nobody would insure me. Uh, fortunately, I did have the ability to take advantage of three years of COBRA coverage, basically continuing on that PEHP coverage, but at my own expense. Uh, and I believe it was you know, a significant cost, about $350 a month or so. After exhausting that three years of COBRA coverage, I was about age 29, I believe. Uh, I had then made the transition as a financial advisor. And just starting a financial advisory firm is a pretty slow, uh, arduous task. Uh, not a whole lot of income. And I had the luxury uh, of learning about a primary care network program, uh, otherwise known as PCN. This thing was a lifesaver for me. Uh, obtaining continuous coverage uh, was always really a concern of mine because I was concerned that if I lost coverage at any point, uh, I would never be able to get insured again, basically, uh, with my understanding of, of the insurance agent, uh, industry. Uh, so fortunately, I was able to find this PCN care. Uh, it has severe income restrictions, um, but as I was starting out a new business, it worked out for me, uh, and that enabled me to obtain, uh, you know, basically preventive care and keep that continuous coverage going uh, for a period of about three years at a cost of about $50 per year. It was really a lifesaver for me, um, but that primary care network uh, coverage is going to be expiring for me at the end of March, this upcoming month. I no longer meet those uh, income restrictions, uh, so I, I don't qualify there. And, and the reality is I've spent the last year and a half figuring out how I'm going to obtain coverage once I no longer qualify for this PCN. And it's laughable, uh, but I've actually spent the last year and a half figuring out <laughs> how I can get married uh, so I can marry a spouse who has coverage through their employer uh, and kind of lurch off of, off of that program. Uh, so, so that's the position I'm in at this point. So the, the, under your understanding, will the Affordable Care Act help you? I believe so. Uh, that's my understanding is that they can no longer um, deny me coverage due to pre-existing conditions. It uh, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be cost-effective, uh, but my understanding is, is that I will at least be able to obtain coverage. Uh, fortunately, when I got in touch with Jason's group, they familiarized me with the HIP Utah program, uh, which is basically just a high-risk insurance pool here in the state. And it looks like I'm going to be able to utilize that program between the end of this month up through when Obamacare kind of comes into play. 
uh, and at least continue my coverage through that window there. Uh, it definitely isn't going to be cheap. I believe it costs about $513 per month for, for myself as a 32-year-old individual. Um, but it, I guess it's worth it to keep the continual coverage. Hmm. Let's bring in Bettina. Uh, Bettina in Springdale, uh, thank you for being patient there. Um, tell, us, tell us your story, your concerns. Uh, yeah, I went about 20 years without any health insurance, and now I turned 66, so I have it. And in those 20 years, I... Um, used alternative health care methods, acupuncture, um, nutritional guidance, chiropractic. And um, that's the form that I still use, even though I'm paying some now for Medicare. Um, and it's, it's kind of interesting to me. I went up to Oregon, and my son works up there in Portland, and he twisted his ankles really bad riding his bike. And so he walked into um, any kind of chiropractic office, and uh, their insurance in Portland, they have a wellness uh, decree, decreed by the governor a few years ago, um, saying they, they know how much uh, regular mainstream health care costs, so their focus in that state is on wellness. And I understood that all insurance providers in the, that provide to the people of Oregon have to provide alternative health care options. And so his, um, he works for a market called New Seasons Market, and they provide health care insurance. And so his insurance covered his acupuncture treatments for his ankle. And so um, my frustration is, is that, sure, I'm, I have health care, but uh, it's not the kind of health care I would choose. Hmm. And those years without health care, I'd imagine you had some nervous moments. A little bit. I yeah. was lucky to be healthy. Uh, I spent one four-hour stint in the emergency ward for an IV on antibiotics, and it cost $1,500 for four hours. Hmm. Uh, and my income is about a thousand a month. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, so now you're on Medicare. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, appreciate that experience. Thank you, Bettina. Okay. Bye. Uh, and it, we just have a few more minutes left uh, with uh, our panel in the first half of the program. And I understand, um, Robert Smedlove, you ha- need to leave us in this first half of the program. Uh, let me uh, have a, one more last a couple of questions uh, for you. Uh, first of all, Jason Stevenson, uh, these experiences, Henry's and Bettina's, this obviously outlines a need. Um, and there are a lot of people who are uninsured. There are problems there. One of the goals of any healthcare system, and I assume... Affordable Care Act is to get more people off the uninsured rolls and, and get them insured. That's right. And and if you you notice uh, Henry's situation there, you know, he has been able to maintain coverage, but it's really come at a lot of, uh, of work and expense at his part because there's this patchwork quilt of options out there um, that can cover you based on your, maybe you qualify on this income or maybe you live in this area or, you know, perhaps um, you apply by a certain deadline and if you can do all that, and if you can scramble and stay on top of it, you might be able to get insurance. And, of course, you might be paying $500 a month for you, even if you're a single guy in your 30s, which seems like a lot of money. What the Affordable Care Act does is it just eliminates that crazy patchwork and says, you know, let's, let's create a, a system where people can find insurance, they can afford insurance, and they can just stop worrying about it. And so people like Henry can go and concentrate on building his financial services business or starting a family and not having to worry about whether or not he's going to be able to pay the cost of having a baby. Um, and I know Governor Herbert really likes to focus on 
healthcare as an economic development issue. And I think he's exactly right. Reducing the number of uninsured in our state and providing quality and affordable coverage for more Utahns, and there are 400,000 Utahns who lack insurance right now, is going to be a great economic boost to this state because people will be able to go to work, have families, create jobs, build their own businesses without worrying about getting sick and losing their job or losing their insurance. And, and one of the you know, great things about entrepreneurs is they work for a company, they get an idea, and then they go and they launch their own company. Well, a lot of entrepreneurs are very hesitant to do that because they would be leaving good insurance. And I talked to an entrepreneur just two weeks ago who has that same problem. He, he doesn't want to leave his job at you know, a big company to launch this idea here in Utah, maybe grow a really great small business because he and his family – are, are, just can't leave that insurance behind. The Affordable Care Act changes the calculus on this and really frees up our economy by making health care simple and affordable. We're talking health care, obviously, on the program today. Coming up, we'll be talking with Matt Sloniker, Utah Health Policy Project Medicaid Policy and the Collaborations Director. We're talking about Medicaid. That's a decision Utah has to make, all the states, because the Supreme Court excused states, if they want to, from that provision of Affordable Care Act, whether or not to expand Medicaid. Uh, we'll also be talking uh, with Reed Ernstrom, uh, present CEO of Bear River Mental Health Services, and Pat Fleming with the Salt Lake County Substance Abuse Services. And right now we're talking with Robert Spendlove, Deputy Chief of Staff to Governor Herbert, and Jason Stevenson, Education and Communications Director with UHPP, and uh, with Henry, who is a financial services entrepreneur. Um, and uh, we need to wrap uh, this half hour up, but I, I wanted to address a couple of questions to Mr. Spendlove. First of all, this is an email that we uh, received from Greg in Logan. Uh, I have heard of many companies who claim that with higher costs, they are unable to keep all of their employees, especially in construction. How can Obamacare affect them so badly? Well, you know, I, I think um, that, that one of the big struggles is that the primary focus of the ACA or Obamacare was, you know, just like you said, there's there's usually three main goals of health care reform, controlling costs, uh, increasing access and improving quality. With with Obamacare, they really focused on increasing access, so getting more people insured. Unfortunately, the, the byproduct was they didn't do a lot to control costs. And so what we're seeing is we're seeing costs go uh, spiraling up out of control. And so one of the specific goals of the of the Utah Healthcare Exchange, Avenue H, is to control those costs. So I'll take uh, that example of that small business, that construction company, where in the past they were just providing that that uh, insurance. They had to, you know, when insurance costs went up by double-digit amounts every year, they just had to eat that, and they just had to deal with it. What they can do now is they can say, I may not be able to provide the entire cost of the insurance, but I can give you $1,000 a month or $500 a month or whatever it is, and they have that control cost. And they have that ability to provide the insurance that they want to give without having out-of-control costs. Let me just ask you one last question. I know you, I know you have to get going. Um, we're going to be talking about Medicaid expansion or not in the uh, second half of the program. I want to give you a chance to uh, give Governor Herbert's position on this. What, what does the governor feel about Medicaid expansion? Sure. The, the, the governor hasn't taken a formal position on it yet. Um, several governors have. I think, you know, th- this is one thing about 
Governor Herbert. He's uh, very inclusive in his decisions, and he's very deliberative. He doesn't like to rush into decisions. And so Utah is one of just a handful of states that haven't uh, announced their decision yet. You know, you've, I'm sure you've heard of several of the Republican governors that have announced that they're not going to do it. Uh, some have decided that they are. Governor Herbert really wants to have a, a thorough process. He wants to uh, make sure it's very inclusive of all interested parties. Uh, he actually asked the Department of Health to uh, to uh, request a, a formal impact uh, analysis, a, an economic analysis of the costs and benefits of expansion. We haven't received that final report yet, um, and you know, we, our thought is first the the first goal is we need to know what the costs are. We need to have an accurate measure of what the costs are, what the economic benefits may be. That's, what, that's part number one. Part number two is that we need to bring together all community partners, whether it's from the advocacy community, whether it's from the legislature, whether it's from the business community, bring them all together over the next several months and, and talk through, say, what do we need to do? What are the best solutions? Are there alternatives to just expanding Medicaid? We don't see it as either yes or no. We see it as there, there's yes, there's no, or there's, you know, there's other options. And so that's what we're going to spend the next nine months doing over the interim uh, between the, the, you know, leading up to the 2014 session is saying, let's look at everything. Let's look at all of our alternatives. Let's look, look at all of our options and let's make a decision based on good information. We'll be talking more about Medicaid expansion in the second half of the program. We'll continue this discussion on uh, health care and implementation of the Affordable Care Act in Utah uh, with uh, several guests coming up in the next part of the program following a break. Uh, we thank Robert Spendlove, Deputy Chief of Staff to Governor Herbert. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tom. Uh, Henry, who is a financial services entrepreneur, thank you. Thanks. Happy to be here. And uh, we've been talking with Jason Stevenson, Education and Communications Director with Utah Health Policy Project. Thank you so much. Great. Appreciate the chance to be here. Uh, we will talk more on health care following the break, and uh, we'd love to hear your experience. Will the Affordable Care Act implementation in Utah help or hurt you? Uh, what is your experience with health insurance and health care? Do you think we ought to expand Medicaid or not? would love to get your experience and your opinion at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, or upraxcess at gmail.com. Back after the break. Support for legislative programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and the USU Credit Union, serving members with online bill payer, web teller services, and mobile banking for around-the-clock account access. Information is at usuccu.org. Support also comes from your local office of AARP Utah, a nonpartisan organization helping people 50 and over improve their lives through its advocacy for health care reform, social security, and consumer protection in Utah. Information is at aarp.org ut. On From the Top, we don't just put young people on the show to hear their incredible musical performances. We celebrate the whole kid. We're all members of the Vermont Astronomical Society, and uh, we've also gotten really into building telescopes. I run cross-country, and I run track. Well, I'll eat anything as long as it's not looking at me as, and as long as it's not moving around. I believe the correct term is math stud. <laughs> Join me, Christopher O'Reilly, to meet America's most outstanding young musicians on From the Top each week from NPR. Friday afternoons at 2, repeated Sunday nights at 9 on Utah Public Radio.
Support for Access Utah comes from the Utah Humanities Council, enriching cultural, intellectual, and civic life by providing opportunities for all Utahns to explore life's most engaging questions and the wonders of the human experience. These are questions that face all of us, and especially uh, state government leaders. How do we control health care costs, reduce the numbers of uninsured Utahns, ensure high-quality health care, and provide for a sound economy? Governor Herbert and Utah legislators are grappling with these questions, deciding how to implement the Affordable Care Act and whether to expand Medicaid. We're exploring health care issues in this part of the program now with Matt Sloniker, who is Utah Health Policy Project Medicaid Policy and Collaborations Director. Matt Sloniker, welcome to the program. Thanks. Good to be here. We appreciate you taking time. Reed Ernstrom, President and CEO of Bear River Mental Health Services, joins us. Thank you. Great to be with you. And Pat Fleming, who's with Salt Lake County Substance Abuse Services. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, so let's start with uh, Matt Sloniker. I know there's a, a bill being run in the legislature, House Bill 153. I know this because I'm at the Health Policy Project uh, site, <laughs> and you have a bill tracker here. Um, I think this had a hearing of some sort yesterday. This is Representative Chavez Houck's uh, Medicaid amendments. Uh, uh, what What's the status of that? Uh, yeah, the status of that is essentially, yes, it was heard uh, yesterday in committee. Um, however, uh, we moved on to the next agenda item uh, without a vote. Um, I think the real uh, background understanding about the best strategy forward with that bill was to let's just wait. You know, I, I think we heard from Robert Spenlock a little earlier about the governor's strategy here, and that is to wait, to deliberate, to involve all the stakeholders and to really look at this issue broadly, get a hold of that PCG report, that cost-benefit analysis the state commissioned, and, and really think about this in the interim. Uh, so that's what we decided to do. However, in a surprise move um, by Representative Anderegg, we had a substitute um, bill come out in, in, actually in place of a Affordable Care Act nullification bill that, in fact, would prohibit the state of Utah from expanding Medicaid. This was a, a very much a surprise to us, caught us off guard. Advocates came out and and spoke against the move. Um, I think there was folks in the committee that were a little upset with uh, the fact that they didn't really know about this ahead of time. So uh, that bill, unfortunately, was passed out of committee, sort of short-circuiting uh, this deliberative process in a way. Uh, of course, this is just a committee action. Um, it has to make it to the floor, has to pass out of the legislature to have any sort of impact. And then, of course, uh, we would imagine that the governor uh, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't consider this bill for signage because uh, it does sort of usurp his authority and role in this process. So that's kind of the update out of last night. Hmm. Uh, a little unfortunate, a little startling, but uh, we're sort of re- recalibrating today to figure out the best path forward in helping educate folks about really what the Medicaid expansion will do in Utah. I think there was a lack of understanding among uh, some of the members of the Business and Labor Committee uh, last night uh, about what exactly its impact would be in Utah and what it really meant for Utah. Uh, tell us again the, the, the number so people want interested in they can go look, look that up. Yeah, I can pull that nullification bill number up in a second. Okay, um, great. But I, I don't have it off. Uh, well, while we're doing that, um, I wonder if you give us the the case for Medicaid expansion. Of course, this was a part of uh, Affordable Care Act, but uh, the Supreme Court decided to let the states decide that. Uh, what's the case for expanding Medicaid? Yeah, the case for expanding Medicaid, I think, is is really quite uh, clear. 
Um, in Utah specifically, we, we talked about, for example, the exchanges in the last segment. Uh, we've looked at the population essentially from 100% federal poverty line to about 400% federal poverty line. Those are folks that would be eligible for premium subsidies uh, that would help them afford coverage under the, the exchange. It will be online uh, uh, early next year. And so what about the rest of us? Uh, and what about the folks from 0% to 100% federal poverty line? Uh, these folks were really intended to have the, the uh, Medicaid expansion. They were to be newly eligible under the Affordable Care Act for Medicaid. Um, the reason, essentially, that they did not make this group eligible for uh, exchange subsidies is that it was much less affordable to do it that way uh, from the uh, federal perspective. So uh, now with the Supreme Court uh, having decided that states should have the option to or to not expand Medicaid, we are facing kind of a dilemma. Should we leave sort of the poorest of the poor from 0% uh, to 100% federal poverty line uh, without any uh, chance to be able to afford coverage while folks above that uh, income level have options, or should we provide them uh, Medicaid with Medicaid expansion? I think that's the, the coverage argument, really, uh, sort of fairness argument. Uh, Medicaid expansion would significantly reduce the number of uninsured folks. Um, I think there's an efficiency argument to be made uh, where now if uninsured people, generally speaking, they, they still tend to get sick sometimes, like we all do. And when they do go to the hospital uh, or the emergency room, as what is common, uh, oftentimes it costs an absorbent amount of money, unaffordable to them, and puts them in a very bad financial predicament. And often that cost is not paid, and hospitals have to absorb it. And, in, in fact, that gets passed along to, to everybody else. So essentially on a national level, $1,000 of, of premium holders uh, annual premium payments are really due to paying for this this uninsured problem. Mm. Um, I think there's another argument. Really, the final one is uh, the economic impact. We're looking at about five billion plus being pulled into the Utah economy and federal spending. So that's federal dollars. A lot of them, of course, Utah taxpayer dollars that would come back into the state, uh, generate economic activity. We obviously get state revenue from that money. And, in fact, it's, it's shown that, um, that we'll be able to create a lot of jobs, both health sector and outside of the, the health sector. Hmm. So those, those are a lot of the, the arguments. I think Pat Fleming's able to make a lot of the savings arguments uh, to the state budget specifically. And he, he, he can touch upon those a little later, I suppose. Well, let's turn to Pat Fleming. This is a good time to, to bring him in. Salt Lake County Substance Abuse uh, Services. Uh, it, and uh, what's your view of the the Affordable Care Act, uh, how it's being implemented in Utah? Is that, is that going to help uh, the people you treat? Uh, yeah, uh, Tom, thanks. Um, and uh, good to be on the phone with Matt and, and Reed, too. Um, yeah, when, when, when the thing to understand in, in uh, the health care reform legislation is that for really for the first time, behavioral health services are considered to be part of the health care package for all Americans. And what I mean by that, those would be services for people that have a mental illness or for individuals who have a substance use disorder. And in Utah, the responsibility to provide those services, those, those services to individuals who do not have insurance, 
has fallen on county government. So the way that our system is set up in Utah is that county government is responsible for delivering mental health services and substance use disorder services to the citizens of uh, each of our counties. And so in Reed's area, of course, then he would be responsible for uh, Cash and Rich and Box Elder, and I'm responsible for Salt Lake. Well, when we start looking at the number of individuals that we have, and I'll just give you some figures here, and I'll just speak, you know, from, uh, I can give you a state number and then give you just a Salt Lake County number, because that's the number I'm the most familiar with right now. Um, Currently, in the state of Utah, there are about 200 and 60,000 people that are um, enrolled in Medicaid, give or take, depending on who's eligible that month. Um, What Medicaid expansion does, the optional expansion that we we have to choose if we're going to participate in Utah does, we'll take that up uh, by about 100, 111,000 people statewide. So just to take it to a Salt Lake County number, it, it winds up being right now we have about 100,000 people in Salt Lake County that are in, enrolled in Medicaid. And here county government is responsible to provide behavioral health services to those individuals if they should need it. Not not all of them need it, but some of them do. What happens then in Salt Lake County is, is that the number of, of uh, Medicaid expansion folks will increase uh, by about 21,000 in um, in Salt Lake County. So these are just the individuals who would be eligible based on their income to enroll in Medicaid. And then there's another 20,000 or so that will um, enroll that currently are eligible but uh, have never enrolled. And remember, the idea is, is that everybody has to have some health insurance on January 1st of 2014. So what we did in Salt Lake County is we looked at the dollars that we spend on providing services for those individuals and we actually did some calculation actually for the state and what winds up happening right now is is that um, state and county governments are spending about 17 million dollars a year to treat about 11,000 people that have behavioral health problems that do not have insurance and these dollars are state and county tax dollars so the citizens are paying for these dollars uh, are paying for these services with local tax dollars what we think will happen is is that the majority of those individuals, 82%, so of the 11,000 people that we're providing services for that are uninsured, behavioral health services, about 82% of them would be able to convert over to Medicaid. Now, the reason this is important is is that in the first three years of the Medicaid program, the federal government will pick up 100% of the cost. And you can just say, well, that's a cost shift to the federal government and we're all taxpayers. Here's the thing. If Utah sits on the sideline and does not expand Medicaid, all up, we're going to still have to pay for that. And all those federal dollars with local, with local money now, all those federal dollars that we would have gotten are going to go to California, they're going to go to Washington, Oregon, and the other Colorado, the other states that are going to adopt expansion. Mm. So we think it makes so much sense. And the amount of money, Matt mentioned it, the amount of money that would come into Utah over 10 years is like adding another Hill Air Force Base. So it is an economic driver for Utah. Plus, here's the, here's the bottom line. These people that we're dealing with, they can get services and they can get well. They can get services through Medicaid expansion. They can get better. Our goal, get them on their feet, get them working, get them supporting their families and getting them get their insurance after they're off of Medicaid in the private insurance market. We're talking health care, of course, on Access Utah and uh, implementation of Affordable Care Act is uh, 
uh, front and center at the uh, Utah legislature on the Governor Herbert's agenda as well, and whether or not to expand Medicaid. That's a specific uh, topic for uh, this uh, part of the program. And we're talking with uh, Pat Fleming with Salt Lake County Substance Abuse Services and with Matt Sloniker with Utah Health Policy Project Medicaid uh, Policy and Collaborations Director will be bringing in Reed Dernstrom with the Bear River uh, Mental Health Services. I want to get uh, this email in from a listener. This is Paul. Uh, I'll address this to Matt, to Matt Sloniker to, uh, to handle. Uh, he says, Paul says, I'm an uninsured 38-year-old man. I spend less than $100 a year on health care. This last year, I spent an unusual amount of $800. If I get insurance, I come out hundreds of dollars in the negative. I don't like the idea of being required to buy insurance. Help me understand how this will benefit me. Uh, Matt Sloniker, yeah. your response. Sure, definitely. Um, I think we all you know, wish that we could have insurance and, and try to afford insurance, I think, essentially to help mitigate those times where you do have higher bills. I mean, obviously, there could be the situations where you have a very severe surgery or uh, in the unfortunate circumstance you might... I have a chronic disease that needs to be dealt with. Insurance is, is kind of the, the wise approach, especially considering the, the great cost that comes along with, with some of those major health care problems. We heard from a caller a little earlier who was in for four hours and had a $1,500 bill. So uh, is, I think just the bottom line is, is insurance is better. Uh, I think that's what the Affordable Care Act endeavors to do is provide a greater number of people access through that sort of peace of mind with having uh, decent health care insurance. Let me turn to Reed Ernstrom, uh, President and CEO of Bear River Mental Health Services. I'll have you just uh, talk generally, but first, uh, maybe respond to, uh, there's a bill being run, looks like it's moving through the legislature, House Bill 57, I don't know if you're familiar with this, sponsored by Representative De- Dean Sampe from uh, Provo. Uh, he states, then, uh, citing national research, I'm reading from the Salt Lake Tribune, people who are severely and persistently mentally ill um, die 25 years earlier than the rest of the population, and preventable medical conditions are the leading cause of their death. And so he's uh, running this bill, which would require the uh, State Division of Substance Abuse and Mental Health to promote and evaluate integrated programs that address substance abuse, mental health, physical health uh, care needs. I guess this all is connected, and I wonder how, uh, how Medicaid expansion or uh, implementation of Affordable Care Act may, might help you with this. Well, thank you. Yes, those statistics uh, prove out in our area as well, where many of our folks that suffer with mental health issues uh, don't either have the motivation or the ability to seek, uh, you know, physical health care. And uh, so they, or they simply don't take care of themselves. And so uh, they end up uh, passing away 25 years earlier than, than the average person. And it's a tragedy. So we're trying to address that. Uh, recently, we, we opened a facility in Tremont, in Tremonton with the health department uh, so that we can coordinate substance abuse, mental health, and then also physical health. So one of, one of our uh, clients, for example, has a mental health and a physical health issue. We can simply walk them down the hall and make sure that they get those services. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, we're supportive of that. We think that's very important because, uh, once again, it's a tragedy that these people can't have the quality of life that they deserve. And do I you think, kn- oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to ask you, so um, right now we, we don't have sufficient services to help all the people that you would like to help, that uh, expansion of Medicaid would help you do that? 
Well, the need for mental health services uh, always exceeds the resources that are available. That's been the case. And so Medicaid expansion would allow us to serve more people, and they certainly deserve it. Mm -hmm. Let me uh, turn back to Matt Sloniker, uh, just uh, following up on uh, our uh, previous uh, email from uh, let me pull up uh, from Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, the, this is, in, from some people's point of view, the heavy hand of government. And, and if I don't need as much insurance, uh, or perhaps don't want to to carry that cost, uh, isn't a program like Affordable Care Act uh, and other government programs forcing me to to do that uh, against my will? Well. Um... I think that it was determined essentially by uh, folks, you know, our representatives in Washington. You know, obviously we saw and heard about the Massachusetts model a little earlier. And, of course, the big debate was whether or not there should be a mandate to purchase insurance. And, yes, there does uh, – uh, there's a result of philosophical debate when you sort of mandate anything. But when it comes to health care insurance – it really comes back to how to make the model uh, cost-effective, efficient, and humane, and really allow access to most pe- people possible. So I think, generally speaking, from sort of the the uh, economic perspective or sociological perspective, uh, to have more folks in the system, the more the better off it is for everyone. So yes, you do give up a little bit of personal liberty in order to, to, to gain something back. And, and that's really what it, what it endeavors to do. I think, I think it's unfortunate that it's the case, but if folks run up a very large health care bill and are uninsured, that bill does get passed along to the rest to folks that have insurance. And, you know, if that person is allowed to not have insurance or opts to not have insurance, and they, and they can opt to have not have, have insurance and pay a, a fee, of course, uh, but there will be a waiver for folks of lower income levels uh, in how in having to buy insurance. But I think, generally speaking, we've determined uh, that that economically speaking, and from the general perspective, that it's best that most people, the maximum amount of folks covered, is better for all of us. We will uh, leave it there out of time. Uh, we've been talking with Matt Sloniker, Utah Health Policy Project Medicaid Policy and Collaborations Director. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. And uh, by the way, more information, uh, good information at healthpolicyproject.org, which is with, uh, their uh, website. Uh, also, Avenue H is uh, another good uh, resource for Utah's program, avenueh.com. We've been talking with Reed Ernstrom as well, President and CEO of Bear River Mental Health Services. Thank you. And Pat Fleming with uh, Salt Lake County Substance Abuse Services. Thank you. My pleasure, Tom. Thanks. Tomorrow, of course, we'll have science, science questions with uh, Sherry Quinn. Hope you'll join us then. Coming up top of the hour, Brian Earle with the uh, gardening program. For producers uh, Danny Hayes and Addison Pace, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks for listening.